the Merck Park, USA. I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. You can also download our app right now. At KBLA 1580, download the app and take us with you anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time, but only by downloading the app right now, please. At KBLA 1580, should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. By the way, um, I was just informed, I guess, a few days ago, and I forgot to mention this yesterday uh, when we came back earlier this week. Uh, thank you for all your downloads of our podcast. I just found out we crossed over 1,000 podcasts for this show alone. All of our daytime shows are podcast every day, so you hear us live on the terrestrial radio. That's Terrestrial just means old school, in your car, wherever you are, in your house. Terrestrial radio, you hear us live. But every day by midnight, uh, the same day, all of those shows are posted as podcasts, including this program. And last week, I guess we crossed over 1,000 podcasts uh, that we have posted for this show alone. So thank you to our team here, uh, led by Maisha Cairo, uh, for doing the hard work to post those podcasts for you every day to listen to at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But 1,000 podcasts, that, that, ain't, that ain't no joke. We got a long way to go, though. Uh, you can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, The Divine Nine, the history of African-American fraternities and sororities. An alpha man and a kappa man will converse about the importance and legacy of black fraternities and sororities and how some in the Panhellenic community are creating a hostile space these days for African-American students on certain college campuses who want to join a Greek letter organization. In today's Hour 2 conversation, the alpha man would be Lawrence C. Ross Jr. and the kappa man would be yours truly on what is Founders Day for the men of Kappa Alpha Psi, January 5th, check your calendars, 1911. Happy Founders Day to all my brothers. In our third hour, it's a new year, but the hate on teaching truth to students in American classrooms is unabated. As students return to campuses and classes resume, and as politicians sink to new lows to challenge syllabi, curriculum, and pedagogy, a conversation with the president of the American Educational Research Association and distinguished professor of education at UCLA, Dr. Tyrone Howard, joins us today in Hour 3. But in this first hour today, let's talk politics with author and Tufts University political science professor, Aiden Hirsch. Mr. Hirsch, how are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing the best I can. Good to have you on. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Uh, so I'm just delighted to be here. And uh, delighted to be in dialogue with you for the hour about so much stuff. We have to start at the obvious place. It is the talk of the nation. Uh, and we are now in day three <laughs> of this effort uh, to uh, to get Kevin McCarthy across the finish line. I should say we are. I'm not. 
Uh, and I'm not sure all the Republicans are either. <laughs> His own party isn't either. Um, I don't need to color the question much more than, than this. Let's just start and we'll jump from there. What do you make of the drama now into the third day vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Republicans and Kevin Carthy's uh, his hopes, his dreams, his aspirations of becoming Speaker of the House. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I am a political scientist. I do teach about elections, but I'm not sure I have particularly valuable insights to share. Other than that, I think we have uh, a situation among many politicians now where the the whole goal is not really to achieve any goals. Uh, it's just to to talk and to get attention and to make a fuss and get donations and all that. And and so what you're seeing is a tension between uh, some members of the party who, who really see no benefit of being in power, I guess. Uh, they, they'd probably prefer for the Democrats to be in power so that they can be uh, in op uh, you know, opposed to everything. Um, and so they're willing to, uh, to prevent... Um, you know, their leader from, from taking control. So I, I think that's the main lesson here is that there really are some, some folks who, who um, don't want to do the, the, the hard work of Congress of working behind the scenes and making compromise and all that. They really don't. They, uh, they, they really just want to kind of be, be out there making noise. Mm. Um, I agree with most of what you said, except for one thing. Let me challenge it. And you could be right about this. I could be wrong. Let's see. I've been in conversations about this over the last 48 hours or so. Uh, but you stepped rather boldly uh, to this notion that these persons, these 20 Republicans who are causing all this drama, this brouhaha, uh, would perhaps prefer to see Democrats run the chamber once again, which would mean Hakeem Jeffries, the first African-American to lead uh, either party in either house, uh, would then become the speaker. Um, but I'm not sure you really mean that. Maybe you do. You said it. You're a professor. You choose your words carefully. <laughs> do you really think that they would go that far, that they would go so far as to block Kevin McCarthy, the, the Republicans, as you know, only have a four-vote majority in the House, um, so it wouldn't take much to make this happen. Um, but do you really believe that they would be that determined, draw a line in the sand that starkly, uh, where it would lead to Hakeem Jeffries actually becoming the Speaker, as opposed to some other Republicans? No, 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 I don't think that's going to happen. I just think they're motivated by, you know, they really want to be able to to make a stink, to have the hearings that they want to have against the Biden administration. Um, uh, so, no, I don't think they would go that far. I, what I would just say is that, you know, there, there is a, there is some, it's easy, it's easy to be in the minority and just kind of be, uh, be, and be agitating against leadership. And, and so it's harder to, I think, uh, to, to, to be a leader. And so I think, I think that's what you're seeing. No, I don't think they're actually going to, going to, going to end up doing that yeah i heard that comment when you said you thought you thought they'd prefer democrats to lead i'm like is that hyperbole or does he really believe that <laughs> glad we got that clarified when we come forward with eaton hirsch we'll continue our conversation a bit more to talk about vis-a-vis -vis, uh the shenanigans the drama that's happening in the house right now would uh, uh discuss a lot of other things in this hour uh regarding national politics we're just getting started in hour one of Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk. Continue our conversation now with Eaton Hirsch, who's a professor of political science at Tufts University, uh, author of a number of books, and I'm delighted to have him on in this hour as we talk all things politics, specifically what's happening in Washington right now. Again, in case you've just tuned in or in case you're living under a rock, <laughs> you should know by now that we are into day three, uh, and many people are just being tickled and titillated uh, by what is happening to Kevin McCarthy uh, at one point, he seemed to have a spine when it came, some spine, when it came to Donald Trump. And then all of a sudden, he, 
did a U-turn, and, uh, U-turn that is, and became sort of a Trump sycophant. Uh, and now he's paying a heavy price for that. Um, he has, uh, in the minds of many, lost um, uh, you know, whatever integrity he might have had. And now here we are, end of day three, in the vote six, seven, eight. I've lost count at this point. Uh, but he keeps losing on every one of these uh, ballots. And we shall see what happens today in Washington. They were supposed to convene at 12 noon. I don't have my television on uh, in the studio. I should turn it on here. But I think at 12 o'clock they were supposed to convene. So about 15 minutes ago, somebody check and let me know whether they're in session right now, J.D. Um, so they should be starting this process all over again. Um, uh, should have started about 15 minutes ago. Uh, we shall see what happens today. That said, a couple more things to talk to Eaton Hirsch about vis-a-vis that drama. Uh, in Washington. Um, so let me start with this, um, uh, Eaton. What what do you think this says about the Republican Party at this moment? Uh, there have been so many conversations, of course, over the last number of years, certainly since Donald Trump uh, elevated to the White House, uh, about the future of the Republican Party and, frankly, the status quo of the Republican Party. What's your read on what this drama says about the GOP? That's a great question. You know, I, I think that uh, the—what what, what do we have to say? We have a few things, right? One is that there's a lot of folks on the Republican side who, you know, really don't um, think much of the federal government, right? They, they prefer not to have uh, the federal government do very much. Um, if, they, if, they, if the federal government's going to do anything, it's going to do, you know, a, a narrow set of things related to— Military and, uh, and and some other policy and and so I think there is a, a sense among some politicians that you know um, uh, I might th- this thing is not that important to me so I'm going to sort of play it as a game more than anything else mm-hmm. and, and I, I do think that some part of politics today like I said before is not just about symbolic gestures because um, people want to get attention to themselves but there's I think a lot of folks who just don't value the national government very much. Um, uh, secondly, you know, of course, I think we're still now when we're we're one day, I guess, away from the, the uh, second anniversary of the of the January sixth um, riot. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have more than half of the members of Congress on the Republican side who, even after the riots and the death and destruction and all that, they still voted against the certification of the election. Right? It wasn't it wasn't just before the riots; it was after. They came back, they looked what they saw, and they said. Um, yeah, no, we're not going to certify the election. And 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 so you're dealing with, I think, folks who have just um, quite extreme preferences on, 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 on certain things, including on, the, the, you know, what their role is and what their role ought to be. And, and uh, yeah, it's a confusing time. Mm. Um, so that's the GOP. Let me ask you about uh, Donald Trump, who I referenced earlier. As we all know, in the last 24 hours or so, Donald Trump came out uh, publicly. Uh, and said uh, that uh, these Republicans ought to, I'm paraphrasing here, get in line uh, and give Kevin McCarthy the vote uh, to make to, to make him the new speaker. Of course, Donald Trump always has his rationale and reasons why he's doing what he's doing. Donald Trump doesn't even really like Kevin McCarthy, if you know the entire backstory. We'll come back to that perhaps in a second. Uh, but what did you make a two-part question, here, which I don't typically do, but let me ask a two-part question and get out of the way. One, what did you make, Eaton, of Donald Trump coming out publicly and suggesting that these Republicans get in line 
to support uh, Kevin McCarthy. What did you? What, what's your read on that? Number one, and uh, more expressly, what do you make of the fact that they rebuffed the, the president? Uh, Congresswoman uh, Boebert even took the microphone and and made comment about the fact that the president shouldn't be squeezing them. He ought to be squeezing Kevin McCarthy to do the right thing on the issues that they want him to address. So one. What do you make of what Donald Trump said? And number two, what do you make of the way they responded, these 20 Republicans, to what Donald Trump said? <laughs> these are interesting questions. You know, I've made my career as a political scientist by uh, kind of condemning uh, so much talk about gossip and politics. You know, I, I kind of always think about people following politics, mostly at the state and local level, getting involved and, and trying to avoid these personalities and, uh, and, and, and the gossip. Um, so, you know, my, my intention to politics is, is much more at the, at, the, at the state and local level, of course. Uh, but having said that, um, look, I guess there's a big question about the future of the Republican Party and Trump's role in it. He, he really did change quite a bit what it meant to be a Republican, what the values are, what it means to be a conservative. Um, and a lot of those changes are maybe temporary, and a lot of them are probably permanent, you know, changing policies about trade and immigration, uh, changing views towards democracy, uh, foreign policy. So many things have changed, and I think there's just, you know, a big question about how long-lasting those changes are. Uh, my own sense is that they are quite long-lasting, that he struck a nerve that uh, a lot of folks responded to. And I also think that he's, uh, y you know, I, I think people are always kind of under continually um, underestimating him and assume that, you know, mm -hmm. he's now he's now out of power and no one's going to, you know, no one's going to like him anymore. Um, I, I still think that, you know, when he goes on a debate stage, he's he's quite dynamic and people like paying attention to him. And, and so I don't think either his policy brand um more more populist, anti-business, uh, anti-tech, all sorts of things like that. I don't think that's going away, and I don't think the, the, the personality is going away either. Yep. It may not. Um, and I heard you use the word uh, gossip earlier, but this ain't gossip, brother. This is real stuff in real time. And we're having a real conversation about it because it's real. Um, and uh, to, to, to your point about, you know, perhaps Trump not going away, even if he stays on the scene and we expect he will stay on the scene, uh, this has to do something, though, to his standing. Uh, when you come out and you endorse a number of candidates in the midterms and those candidates lose, that's got to do something to your standing. Uh, when you then come out and tell Republicans who used to listen to you, let's face it, most of the members of this Freedom Caucus, these 20 Republicans uh, that are behind all of this, are, 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 are Trump loyalists. Many of them are. And when you come out and tell your, 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 your troops to do something and your troops uh, uh, disregard your orders, as it were, that's got to do something to your standing. So are you telling me you don't believe that these... Uh, these self-inflicted wounds that Trump being turned away at the at the ballot box, his his uh, his candidates at least being turned away at the ballot box, um, members of Congress who support him standing up in the well of the House and you know chastising him for his pressing them. You don't think that does anything to his standing, sir? No, look, I think it does, but I think people are more resilient than that, and I think the coalitions are harder to explain than that, right? So I think on the Democratic side, if you just use a parallel, you mm -hmm. know, you might imagine someone like, I don't know, Bernie Sanders, you know, endorsing a bunch of candidates, and they all lose, and uh, and then, you know, people standing up and saying, you know, you're you're an idiot, you know, your people don't, don't can't win, and then sure enough, you know, next time there's an election comes around, there's a, a big audience for what he has to say. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not discounted. I mean, even at the highest level. I mean, you, if you think about how many 
elections Democrats lost during the Obama years um, at the state level, at local level, congressional level. I don't think people then say, oh, you know, well, uh, well, well, you know, uh, obviously his brand of politics is, is toxic. No, people still like him and he has, you know, he has an audience. So I, I just think these things are harder to read than that. I, I, I wouldn't underestimate Trump and think he's going away just because uh, some of his candidates lost or, 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 uh, or anything else. He's, you know, for, for, uh, 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 in spite of everything, in spite of the the you know the the last election and turmoil and all that, he's still seems to me to have to have an audience and quite a big one. Yep. We talked about the GOP and what this mess, uh, this drama says about them and their future. We talked about Donald Trump and what it says about him or not. Uh, let me talk now about the man at the epicenter of all this, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, we know Kevin McCarthy pretty well out here. This radio station is heard across the nation, but flagshipped in California, specifically here in Los Angeles in Southern California, where it is raining cats and dogs, believe it or not, although they say it never rains in Southern California. Love, <laughs> love, love that song. Um, in any event, it's raining cats and dogs here. Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy is from California, and at one point I thought that we might make some history, California that is, by the gavel being passed from one Californian, Nancy Pelosi, to another Californian named Kevin McCarthy. That may or may not happen. We will see what happens again today on day three of this effort to uh, select a speaker uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. But let's talk about Kevin McCarthy. And again, I don't need to color this question much more than this. What do you make of what he has done to himself, the position he's allowed himself to be in, you know, six or seven votes, day three, he still can't get this thing across the finish line. Even if he does become speaker, the memes, the jokes, I mean, the comedians are having a field day with this. Even if he does get it, how wounded is he? How long before he ends up like John Boehner and Paul Ryan? I mean, I mean, why would one put himself in this situation to be humiliated and embarrassed at this level? How desperate must Kevin McCarthy be? Yeah, so two things I'll say about this. One is, um, you know, speaking of the of the transfer power from Nancy Pelosi to maybe Kevin McCarthy, maybe someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, whatever one thinks of Nancy Pelosi's politics or her policies, she was such a gifted speaker in keeping a coalition together. Yes. It's very hard yes. on either side, but if you think about the Democratic side to keep really conservative Democrats winning in conservative places in some years, and, and then the, the far left, and getting them all on board with That's a right. very narrow majority. Right. It just takes a lot of skill, and she has mm-hmm. it. One of, the, one of the interesting things I heard about the Kevin McCarthy, you know, these people who are not voting against him, some of them are really kind of the far-right people. Um, not all the far-right people are against him. Some are with him, but some are against him. But then there's also people who we've just had some conflict with over time, like someone who, he, you know, who felt wronged by him and some personal way. And I, I, was spe- I have little kids, three little kids, and I was speaking to them about this. And I said, you know, in politics, just like in the rest of life, you know, if you, if you uh, treat someone badly or you, uh, you know, you have some disrespectful interaction, uh, people remember these things. And so a lot about politics is just like everything else. You know, you, 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 you know, you, you, you'll suffer from for mistreating people. And I, you know, I'm not sure what exactly the personal conflicts are in the Kevin McCarthy situation, but you can imagine someone just felt slighted and now uh, is willing to hold up the government on account of it. So yep. it's, uh, it's interesting. I think it's a good lesson. If, if he, I'll come back to Nancy Pelosi in just a second, because I've got some thoughts about that as well. And they, they mirror yours. Um, but uh, if Kevin McCarthy can in fact get this across the finish line, perhaps today, who knows um, how wounded is he going to be? So you end up winning by any means necessary, if I can use that phrase, you end up winning. But on the other side, how how wounded, how effective can he really be as a speaker, given what we've all seen him go through just to get the gavel? 
Yeah, I mean, the coalition is extremely fragile because it's it's a very narrow majority. You have, you know, individuals who might not, you know, this this character, George Santos uh, mm-hmm. from New York, who, who, you know, he, who knows how long that guy's going to be there. Uh, and the demands of the Republican uh, caucus are that they, they that any number like one or two people can can vote at any time to to vote the speaker out. That's what they want from McCarthy mm-hmm. to be. To, so you know that, that <laughs> he goes along with one thing. You know maybe keeps the government open from a shutdown, um, uh, and and a few people freak out, and now his reign is is over. So uh, it's just an incredibly fragile moment, and I, I don't think there's anyone there, including McCarthy, who has the the broad respect uh, of the of the coalition in the way that Pelosi had it. Now again, I think that comes back to the point where. I think that the stakes are not as high for a lot of these members of Congress that they mm-hmm. think, you know, we, the Republicans, they don't control the Senate. They don't control the presidency. Um, does it really matter if they run the, if they run the House or run the government well? And, and I think they want to. They want to do their investigations and so forth. But um, I don't know if they feel the high stakes that really requires people to put down their their pettier differences and say, you know, we we we're in this together. Yeah. And I think that's what happened on the Democratic side. The reason why uh, people, as you know, from far left Democrats to sort of the moderate ones, could all get behind Pelosi mm. is not just because of Pelosi's skills, but probably in some level they they felt more of yeah. a, a of a need to do it. I've got some comments about Kevin McCarthy, including uh, I'll tease it up now. Uh, I think if he gets this across the finish line, he may very well be the shortest speaker in the history of our republic. That's how long his tenure, I think, is going to last. He may be the shortest speaker ever. I'll tell you why I think that when we come forward. i got some thoughts about Nancy Pelosi. We'll talk about what this all means the day before the anniversary of January 6th tomorrow. And we'll talk about how such a small number of people can control the Senate and control the House. A great deal more to talk about with Eaton Hirsch when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour as we continue our conversation about all things politics uh, with Eaton Hirsch, who is an author, professor of political science at Tufts. Uh, a number of books he's written, including Politics is for Power, How to Move Beyond Political Hobbyism, Take action and make real change. We'll talk about political hobbyism. I love that phrase, political hobbyism, before we let him go at the top of the hour. Another book called Hacking the Electorate, How Campaigns Perceive Voters. Uh, Delighted, again, to be in dialogue with Rutgers. I'm sorry, excuse me. Tusk professor, we had a ruckus professor on yesterday. Uh, Tusk professor uh, Eaton Hirsch is our guest uh, in this hour. Um, So there are two things I said I would would, uh, talk about right quick here when we uh, got back from uh, news and traffic and sports. Um, two issues that uh, that Eden and I were discussing earlier. One, I su- I suggested that I think that Kevin McCarthy, if he can pull this off, may very well be the shortest speaker in the history of the republic. And he literally must have heard me say that because uh, two minutes ago, while we were in that commercial break, <laughs> literally, uh, he just commented on this. Uh, they, he was asked, um, in, uh, in the halls of Congress as this, uh, uh, this day is getting started, uh, moving toward this next vote to see if he can, uh, get the votes he needs to become speaker. He was asked literally moments ago, uh, how concerned he'd be that he might be a short lived speaker because of all the concessions he's made to give one member the power to call for a vote 
uh, on our speaker's ouster. You heard Eaton Hirsch reference this a moment ago in our conversation. Uh, they asked him how concerned he was about it. Or if he was concerned, he said, quote, no, not at all, close quote. No, not at all, close quote, says Kevin McCarthy, about whether or not he may end up being the shortest speaker in the history of our republic. Of course, on the record, he says the right thing. He's supposed to say that, right? But when you look at all that he's going through uh, uh, to get this position, we had a guest on yesterday who I love, uh, Ellie Mustall, correspondent, justice correspondent for The Nation magazine, and he used uh, what became our phrase of the day yesterday in reference to Kevin McCarthy. He said that Kevin McCarthy is sweatily seeking the speakership. There's a phrase for you. Say that fast three times for all those S's. That he's sweatily seeking the speakership. He is sweatily seeking the speakership on day three. Uh, but all these concessions he's made make it difficult for me to imagine he's going to survive a long time. I mean, I mean, imagine you want this job so bad that you give the power of one member of Congress to call a vote on your speakership. I mean, just one person can do that. Um, how long do you think you're going to last when on any given day somebody can call for your ouster? Uh, I think he has set himself up with all these concessions, and I don't think he's going to survive as long as John Boehner survived. He won't survive as long as Paul Ryan survived, two other Republican speakers who were pushed out over some drama similar to this. So I think, you heard it here first, that he may very well be the shortest speaker in the history of our republic if, 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 he can ever get this thing across the finish line and become the Speaker of the House. That's number one. Secondly, regarding Nancy Pelosi, who we were discussing earlier, I agree wholeheartedly with our guest in this hour, Eden Hirsch. Um, let me just say this. I, I like Nancy Pelosi. I don't love Nancy Pelosi. I like Nancy Pelosi. Um, trust me on this. Um, she is not a great orator by any stretch of the imagination. She's not a great interview. Trust me on that for sure. Uh, not a great interview. Nice person, uh, but not a great orator, not a great interviewer. But she was an amazing speaker when you consider what Eaton said a moment ago, that she knew how to count votes. She knew how to wrangle her members together. She got she got major bills passed. And when you're the, the leader of the Democratic Party uh, in the House, it's like herding cats every day. I mean, think about this. We're witnessing a situation right now where these 20 Republicans are holding up all the business in the House. But the Democratic Party, just by nature, is much more diverse. It's much more, much more complex, much less homogenous a party than, uh, the, than, the, than, the, than the Republican Party. And yet Nancy Pelosi successfully, for all these years, herded all these cats to get legislation passed. And if you know the true story, the real story behind Obamacare, Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel at one point were prepared to throw in the towel on their own health care plan. They could not get that thing moved the way they wanted. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi said, absolutely not. I'm telling you what I know, not what I heard. Nancy Pelosi went to the White House and went in on Barack Obama, went in on Rahm Emanuel and said, no, sir, no, sir. Not after all the work I've done to get my members lined up behind this health care bill. We are not throwing the towel in on this, even if we don't get a single Republican vote. And you know how that turned out, right? They didn't get any, any, any Republican support. But Nancy Pelosi, not Barack Obama, not Rahm Emanuel, Nancy Pelosi pushed that Obamacare through, and millions of fellow citizens are all the better for it because Nancy Pelosi made that happen. So she's been a great speaker, was a great speaker, particularly and especially when it comes to getting legislation across the finish line. And so um, I think that if nothing else, while we 
uh, giggle and laugh and uh, 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 have fun at the expense of Kevin McCarthy, given what he set himself up for. This moment is a great moment to remind us of how difficult it is to be the Speaker of the House. Uh, and we take our hat off once again to Nancy Pelosi, the first woman and perhaps one of the most effective speakers uh, in the history of this republic, even as Kevin McCarthy may be the shortest lived speaker, if he can get the votes he needs today, uh, in the history of our republic. That said, um, there are two things I want to come to right quick. Um, actually, one thing with two parts, uh, Eaton. Um, with regard to our republic and the way it works, I understand uh, the rules of the game. You teach this stuff every day at Tufts, so you understand it better than I do. But what do you make of the fact that in the Senate, we've gone through a period now where there have been two Democrats, two people, who've held up major progress in major legislation, uh, Mansion and Cinema, out of West Virginia and Arizona, in the Senate, have held up everything. On the House side now, we see 20 people who are holding up everything, this is a massive country with hundreds of millions of people who live here. What do you make of the fact that in the Senate, two people can hold up the people's business and 20 persons in the House can hold up the people's business? By my count, that's 22 people who held up, who hold, who have the power to hold up everything moving in Washington. I know, again, how the rules work, but what do you make of that reality in this democracy? That's a great question. You know, I want to just reflect on one thing quickly that's related to this and related to what you said before, which is that when you think about bills passing like Obamacare, uh, it's, you know, you have leadership. And you, then you also have just raw courage of people who, for example, members of Congress who knew that by voting for Obamacare, they were going to lose their next election. That's right. You saw that a little bit with, you know, Representative Liz Cheney. She knew. She knew. She, you know, once she decided to go and be part of the the investigative committee, she was not going to win again. And I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's great to praise leadership. I praise leadership. I also want to just praise the courage of people who run for office and are, are really willing to give it all away. Egypt, Egypt, hold that thought, hold that thought, hold that thought. Breaking news, McCarthy's just lost again. <laughs> there you have it. Another vote just taken. He has lost yet again. We don't know what happens next. Uh, but he just lost, un what, what is it, seven now? Seven times? Eight times? I've lost count. Somebody tell me right quick. Is it seven or eight? Seven. It's the seventh. Well, seven is God's number of completion. So maybe we're complete with this process now. <laughs> and Kevin McCarthy will go sit down somewhere. It's God's number of completion. We'll see if it's Kevin, Car Kevin McCarthy's number of completion. But he is now lost, in case you're not watching television, he's now lost for the seventh time, the seventh ballot, trying to get him across the finish line. It ain't happened yet. Finish your point right quick, Eaton. I'm sorry for interrupting. Had to get that breaking news out. On the seventh vote, he rested. Um, <laughs> I hope so. That's a great line. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, I just think that, you know, you see that from time to time. I think, you know, any, anyone observing American politics who cares about it, I think loves seeing that, that, but that members of Congress are willing to uh, to take a vote that's going to cost them their jobs if, they, if it means a lot to them. So uh, that's, that's one thing. What I would say um, is I, I think it's hard to understand exactly what's going on with, uh, you know, for example, the Senate votes uh, on these big bills last year and being held up by a couple senators. You know, I, I think that there was probably more opposition to a number of those bills than was reflected in just, you know, a mansion or a cinema uh, where oh, the other folks didn't want to be on the record of being, you know, antagonistic to uh, uh, the Democrats' bill, but they, they also didn't want it to pass and thought that it would, you know, be bad for inflation or, or bad for this and that. You know, there was, there was a, it's a tricky situation that, that, that folks have gotten themselves in Washington where they can't get much done at, uh, 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 without 
um, you know, throwing a lot of things into these huge bills that are thousands of pages long, and not all of it's good. You know, I think uh, if you looked at the Build Back Better, the the stuff on there on early child care was going to uh, uh, estimated to raise costs by a lot for middle class families, for preschool and and, and younger kids. It was going to help people at the lowest end of the economic ladder, but it was going to really hurt a huge group of people in the middle who were going to end up paying more child care. If you look at some of the things in the big voting bill. Yeah. Some of them I think were good, and some I think were really not good. And uh, you had a lot of uh, people who study election administration and voting rights, like me, saying, whoa, there's a lot of stuff in there that, yikes, why is that in there? And the answer is that, you know, it's harder to pass little individual things sometimes than try to, uh, uh, to try to combine everything into some massive bill. And so that's what the Democrats were trying. And all I just want to say about it is that I think opposition to those bills was much larger, actually, than is reflected in, a, mm-hmm. in you know, in a cinema. Or a, or a mansion. Um, but look, I, I think about talking about how we teach about American politics, how we teach about American government, and we come back to this idea that's from the founders, which is that they deliberately made it extremely hard to make new yeah. laws. Yeah. And um, that was by design. They didn't want uh, it to be easy for a new group of elected mm. people to come in and suddenly uh, well, make they, big changes to things. So well, that, I think that's what we get. Yeah, well, they, they succeeded in that regard. Uh, sometimes, much to our chagrin, in moments like these, where two folk in one chamber and 20 folk in the other chamber can hold up the people's business but uh at least this part is fun to watch on the house side for many of us um when we come forward a few remaining moments to eaton hirsch and then uh in the last few minutes of this hour speaking of breaking news a lot going on today in washington uh president joe biden has just made a major announcement about new border enforcement actions uh, this, uh, I'm sure, has roiled uh, our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete. I got him on the phone. Ruben's going to spend a few minutes with us, few minutes with us uh, before the top of the hour just talking about what the president has just said about these new border restrictions. So he's making news, news being made in the House. It's a big day for politics in America. You're listening to Eaton Hirsch on KBLA Talk 1580. Just a few more minutes in conversation with uh, Tufts professor, author, uh, uh, and a commentator, Eaton Hirsch, and then we'll pivot very quickly to Ruben Navarrete, our regular contributor, to comment on and share with us the news that President Biden just made, announcing new uh, restrictions, uh, new rules, as it were, as my friend Bill Maher might say, uh, new rules when it comes to uh, uh, enforcement at the border. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Um, Eaton, I don't want to let you go without uh, giving you a chance to download for us uh, right quick uh, this uh, definition of political hobby that you uh, are famous for writing and talking about. Sure. So, you know, what I discovered is that <laughs> most Americans who care about politics, a lot of people care about politics, spend an hour or two today thinking about politics, but way too few of them, way too few of them are actually channeling that energy into anything constructive. They don't really have specific goals or strategies in mind. And, you know, this book I wrote, Politics is for Power, is about how to take the energy people have, maybe concern people have about government, about politics, and uh, be an effective person working in organizations uh, mostly focused at the state and local level, uh, addressing issues people care about. Um, the 
uh, over time with uh, with new media, social media, uh, new habits people have, uh, we're spending more time than ever engaging in politics in, in kind of shallow ways, right. and uh, it's not not good for us. And we kind of learn the wrong lessons about how to engage, and um, and so uh, you know that's that's what I've been going around talking and writing about. Yep. Last question here, uh, with about ninety seconds to go here. What do you make of the fact um, you referenced it? And I want to close on this note. What do you make of the fact that we have this drama playing out in real time in the well of the House with the Republican Party, no less, uh, the day before the anniversary of January 6th? What do you make of this drama today against the backdrop of tomorrow's anniversary? I guess I can say something that maybe feels like uh, uh, like it's not. Uh, I should have. I should dream bigger. But my dream, you know, the fact that we have what is a peaceful transition of power, that Democrats are just giving over power to Republicans. They're figuring it out. Yeah, it's messy with the votes, but we're watching a, a peaceful display, uh, a collegial behavior in the House. That's. A, I think that's a positive. A positive note to going into January sixth, and uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, we. Can all we can all hope and pray that that continues. Yep. In this regard, let me let, let's be clear, and you, you you put your finger on it. In this regard, though, let's be clear that the Democrats are showing you how democracy is supposed to work. It's a peaceful uh, transition of power, no matter what Republicans are doing to squander the moment. Uh, but January sixth was not the right way to do it, and uh, the way they're doing it now is the right way to do it. That is to say, Democrats uh, doing it peacefully. Uh, as the framers uh, wrote and imagined, and we will see what Republicans do with this moment in the hours, in the days ahead. But for the moment, uh, Kevin McCarthy has gone down in flames once again for the seventh time. Eaton Hirsch, good to have you on, sir. All the best to you. We'll talk to you again. Take care of yourself. Likewise. Take care. Good to have you on. When we come forward, Ruben Navarrete on President Biden's recent announcement, uh, literally moments ago, uh, minutes ago, uh, about new border restrictions. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Jr. is host of the Ruben in the Center podcast, he, the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his column every week, uh, pushed out by the Washington Post syndicate, the Washington Post writers group. Um, I've only got about five minutes left in this hour. Ruben, how are you, my friend? Happy New Year, first of all. Happy New Year, brother. Good to be with you again. Good to have you on. We'll talk more next week when we have your regular hour, but I want to just uh, top line this right now because it's breaking news. While Republicans are... <laughs> Are, are entertaining us uh, in, in, in the well of the house. You know, I'm, you know, I'm loving this, right? You know, I am loving yep, this. Me too. While, me while too. they're entertaining us in the well of the house, Kevin McCarthy again just uh, went up in flames for the seventh time. Seven times now. Uh, <laughs> one of our guests just said, "On the seventh day, God rested." Maybe Kevin McCarthy will as well, Ruben. We will see yeah. uh, after seven times of this. That said, um, tell me right quick what what President Biden said this morning, and I assume it has not. It, it is not sitting well with you, but I don't know. I haven't had a chance to read all the details tell me yeah. about it it's not sitting well with me but it's no surprise that my message to your listeners is i told you so mm -hmm. i have said this i have written this i have given speeches about this uh the, the fact is if you track uh, uh joe biden's career in politics all the way back to 1972 when he first got into politics uh he's always been an immigration restrictionist he speaks uh black and white and mostly white working class white union white uh, he's never really been a, a friend to immigrants, and he proved it again today when he basically said, you know, I'm not only going to keep doing everything Donald Trump did, but I'm going to double and triple down. I'm going to expand Title 42. You know that John Roberts and the Supreme Court said that you must keep Title 42, but they didn't tell him to expand it. That's his own decision. Mm -hmm. uh, they also didn't tell him to 
center in on the Haitians. The Supreme Court didn't say to Joe Biden, go off and attack the Haitians, which is what he's done. He's basically said that four countries in particular, Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, are going to have a limit in terms of people who can come in, 30000 a month. Anybody who tries to come in after that, they're going to be immediately sent to Mexico without giving them a hearing uh, and a, a call for asylum. In other words, if you come from Haiti, this part enrages me, okay? You are at least entitled to give an, uh, an asylum hearing. Now, we know that in three out of four cases, that poor Haitian is not going to get grand asylum. But to not even give him the hearing, mm. after, and then to send him where, Tavis? Not back to Haiti. That would make too much sense. They send him to Mexico. Mm. Uh, just like they did before with the Remain in Mexico policy, which, again, uh, Biden was ordered to keep, but then he expanded to include Haitians. And we also know, you recall the video, the terrible video of Border Patrol agents on horseback. Sure. Uh, you know, corralling Haitian immigrants, poor mig- migrants and refugees. That didn't happen under Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That happened under Joe Biden. The same person who was vice president to Barack Obama, who deported three million people. The same Joe Biden who is right now fixing Donald Trump's border wall after campaigning against it. Keeping Title 42 after campaigning against it. Keeping the Remain in Mexico policy after campaigning against it. So today's news, again, is pretty much that the code words for today, Tavis, are expand and expedite. Mm. The administration wants to expand all of the restrictions, immigration restrictions to keep people out, especially, apparently, those people from Haiti, who they've singled out, along with just a tiny little handful of countries, and also to expedite the process. And again, that's my bottom line, brother. That is my bottom yeah. line. Is it, I'm is, not saying you have to bring in the Haitians, but you need to give them a hearing. I've only got 90 seconds here. Is it just me? Uh, but did I hear you read a list that includes four countries that are all populated by people of color? Yes. And if you, t- if you think about the Cubans who are leaving Cuba, are they light-skinned or dark-skinned? Yeah. In many cases, they're dark-skinned. So yes, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Haiti are the countries that he really, he really does not like. Apparently, <laughs> he's got he's got no tolerance for those folks. It's a terrible, terrible day. And I'll, I'll say this from this point on, you are allowed to be pro Joe Biden or pro immigrant, but you can't be both. Mm. I think you can see where Ruben's uh, conversation with me will go next week <laughs> when he appears on this program. But because this is breaking news, I wanted to get his take on it right away and clue you in in case you hadn't heard it. Uh, but that's what the president has done. He's going out to these four countries. Uh, to expand and to expedite. As you heard Ruben say, those are the words of the day. We'll be debating that, you can rest assured, around here on KBLA Talk 1580 today and into next week when Ruben Mavaret will join us for his regular hour, and we can unpack this and a great deal more next week. Ruben, thanks for the update. I'll talk to you next week, my friend. Stay strong. Uh, Happy New Year. Take care, brother. Hour 2 of Tavis Smiley. After news, traffic and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.